Welcome to the Dunwoody Community Church Podcast. We are so glad you have chosen to listen in to one of our Sunday services, and we hope that you will be blessed by today's message. For more information about Dunwoody Community Church, please visit us at dunwoodychurch.org. That's dunwoodychurch.org. Welcome to another week of Church at Its Worst. We are in 1 Corinthians, and if you remember from last week, we're actually going down a little bit of a rabbit trail. Paul started talking about unity and the need for unity, and we talked a lot about that last week, and then he began to make his argument with these rhetorical questions, but he ends up getting sidetracked as he talks about baptism, and, and he ends saying this. This is where we ended last week in 1 Corinthians 1, chapter 17. Paul says, Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. And so now we're gonna go down this rabbit trail about preaching. Now, when Paul talks about preaching, what he means is preaching the gospel. He means what we mean by evangelism. He doesn't mean what I'm doing right now. He would call this teaching because I'm taking the scriptures and talking to Christians. He means talking to non-Christians. So as we read this, remember, he's talking about His view of preaching, which is the gospel, it's evangelism. So read along with me. This is chapter one from 1 Corinthians. I'm gonna go from verse 18 down to chapter two, verse five. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. The intelligence of the intelligent, I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world, through its wisdom, did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demanded signs, and Greeks looked for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God, that is, our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. And so it was with me, brothers and sisters. When I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom, as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you, except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness, with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. Now, I told you I'm really grateful for this diversion, this rabbit trail that Paul takes. And part of my gratitude is just right here at the beginning in verse 18. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved... It is the power of God. That's that's what he is going to talk about throughout this whole section that we are looking at today. And I find that to be good news, that the message of the cross is foolishness to people who don't believe it. If you're a Christian 
then there was a moment for you when it made sense. And maybe you were six or maybe you were 60, but there was a moment where you understood and you got it. And if you're not a Christian and you're watching this, which is great, thank you, um, then it doesn't make sense to you. Like maybe you understand it intellectually, but you just don't buy it. You don't think it's true. Paul says that for some people, for those who believe, it makes sense. But if they don't believe, then it's just foolishness. It's crazy. And I find that so encouraging because, of course, that's exactly what you see in life. That's exactly what happens. That if you are a Christian, you believe the Bible, it makes sense to you. And when you talk to people who aren't Christians, it doesn't make any sense to them at all. And we, we talk you know, past each other like that. If you're not a Christian, you don't understand why your friends believe this. It makes no sense. How can they possibly believe this? And if you are a Christian, you think, why don't you get this? Like, I so appreciate that Paul says right here at the beginning that this is how people respond. That some people who believe, oh, they, they get it, it makes sense. And other people, no, they just think that's crazy. And he goes on next to talk about these two dominant philosophies in the world, these two dominant ways that we approach God. And he does it by grouping them by two different people groups that everyone would have known. In fact, probably everybody in the church in, in Corinth fell into one of them. He takes the Jews versus the Greeks, or he calls them Gentiles, meaning the non-Jews in some cases. And he says, here's two separate ways people approach God. The Jews, in this case, they are approaching God on the basis of effort. They're earning it, they're doing it. They have the law, and you do it. You come to God based on your actions. You keep the law. You do, you do what he says. You obey. They believe in actions and what you do. And so Paul says they need signs. They need something tangible. They need something physical. Talk is cheap. They don't want to hear you talk about this. They want to see it. You've got to give them a sign to prove something to them. And on the other hand, he says, you've got the Greeks or the Gentiles, the non-Jews, and they come at religion and God in a completely different way. They come at it more in terms of trying to think it through and trying to figure it out. They try to create a, a system for life. So if you've ever heard of the Stoics, Stoicism was a Greek philosophy which was huge in the time of Paul. They're referenced in the scriptures. They go on for many hundreds of years afterwards. You can still find people who follow Stoic philosophy today. The Stoics have been around for hundreds of years before Paul, and the Stoicism has four primary virtues. There's wisdom, justice, self-control, and courage. And that's what they've figured out. They've worked out that these are the primary virtues. And then from that, you organize your life as you want. There's not rules. It's not like Judaism, which says, thou shalt not work on the Sabbath. That's a rule and you do it. It's an action and you obey it. In, in Greek philosophy, like Stoicism, there's these, these virtues, these ideas. You, you figure them out in your head. But then no one says to you, oh, okay, well, then you have to do this or you have to do that. That's totally up to you. Paul says the Jews, they want actions. They want to earn it, and so they need signs. Greeks, he said, they're trying to figure it out. They're trying to come up with a philosophy of life. And so they seek wisdom. They seek knowing the, the, the principles by which to live life. The Jews have, these are the rules. The Greeks want the principles. 
And these are exactly the two things that, that people go to today. I mean, we still fall into one of these two camps in so many cases. If you've ever taken evangelism explosion training, it's called EE in some places. It's a a training program to try and help you share your faith. And one of the things that they will tell you is they'll give you these questions to ask people to kind of help stimulate talking about spiritual things. And so one of their main questions is, if you died tonight, and it turns out there is a God, and you're standing before him, and God says, oh, okay, you you want to come into heaven? Great. Um, Why? Why should I let you in? Right? If you die today and face God and God says, why should I let you into heaven, what would you say? And if you're not a Christian, because if you're a Christian, then you know the right answer. The right answer is Jesus. Jesus died for me. That, that's the only reason to let me in. If you're not a Christian, everyone falls into one of two categories. Either they go the Greek route. They say, I've lived a good life. I'm a noble person. I lived by the light that I had. I did what I thought was right. In other words, this Greek idea of I had a system, I figured out this is how I want to do things, and then I let that guide me through life. Or they'll go what Paul calls the route of the Jews. They'll choose the acts. They'll say things like, I was in church every Sunday. I gave money to build this building. I went on a missions trip. I helped these people. They'll talk about what they did. We still today fall into either of those two camps. This idea of we get to God by figuring it out and coming up with the the right way to live and then we we try and live in in, in harmony with that and consistency or it's about this is what you do. This is how you earn it. You do these things and that gets you to God. And Paul, do you see how Paul goes on to say that both of these ways are so offended by the cross? Because again, the right answer is Jesus. We come to God through what Jesus has done. Jesus' death on the cross. That salvation is a gift. We don't earn it like the Jews would think, Paul says. We don't figure it out and come up with the the right principles to live by and therefore we get it. It's a gift from Christ. And Paul says, oh, this just makes both group mad. The Jews, they say, it's a stumbling block. It's offensive. It trips them up. And you can see why that would be true. Imagine that you've been training for the Olympics for years. You get to the Tokyo Olympics this summer in 2021, and the Olympic Committee says, oh, you know what? We've decided not to run any races. We're just going to hand out medals. I'd be frustrated because do you want the medal if everybody gets a medal? Don't you want the medal because you've bested other people? You've proved that you're better? Paul says, oh, if you're into actions, if you're trying to earn salvation, oh, the cross is terribly offensive to you. And the Greeks, those who are trying to figure it out and come up with the right principles for life, they just think it's stupid. Paul says, then verse 23, it's foolishness to the Greeks. And again, both those things are still true today. People are still angry and offended at the message of the cross, or they think it's stupid. If you're a Christian, you've talked to people who aren't Christians, and they probably had one of those two responses. Either it made them mad, don't talk to me about that, get away, or they just thought, uh, uh, no, I'm, no, come on, I'm sorry, that doesn't work. And again, if you're not a Christian and you're watching that, I'm sure you fall into one of those two categories. People talk to you about Jesus, either you're like, oh, seriously, come on, give it a rest, 
right? Or you're just, uh, I'm sorry, I don't, just don't, I just don't buy this. We still are working out of these two categories that Paul lays out. We still find it so offensive. And I so appreciate that Paul insists, he insists over and over again in this passage that this is intentional, that this is God, that God set it up this way. He says in verse 19, this is God speaking. It's a quote from Isaiah in the Old Testament. God says, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. I will frustrate the intelligence of the intelligent. God goes on to say in the second half of 21, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. He says in verse in uh, verse 25, he says, the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Paul says over and over again, this is intentional. God did this. Salvation is a gift. Now, this passage is not the only place in scripture that teaches that salvation is a gift. I mean, I, I told you there's things in the scripture that this this rabbit trail we're going down that really mean a lot to me because there's things I don't think I would know otherwise. And we would know from many other places that salvation is a gift. What I so love about this passage is that it tells me how people will respond. It tells me if you try and share Christ with folks, how are people going to respond? They're going to be offended or they're going to think you're stupid. Like, I don't know about you, but that has definitely been my experience. I have been in ministry all my life. I went into full-time Christian ministry out of college over 30 years ago. I have talked to hundreds upon hundreds of people about the gospel. The vast majority of them respond with either that, you know, that's offensive, stop that, get away from me, how dare you say Jesus is the only way, whatever, or they're just very politely think that I'm crazy. Yeah, no, I just don't buy it, Jeff. I so appreciate that the Apostle Paul tells us, yep, this is what it's like. I mean, I find that encouraging. I think about all the times I have tried to share the gospel. I've tried to preach in Paul's sense of the word, not what I'm doing to you now, but, but to preach the gospel, to tell people about Jesus. And I think I fail 99.99 some odd percent of the time. I mean, if success is leading someone to Christ, wow, I fail so much. And I so appreciate that the Apostle Paul says, yep, that's the way it is. That's how people responded in his day 2,000 years ago. It's still the way people respond. Human, human beings, human nature hasn't changed in all that time. We're still gonna try and get to God either on the basis of our actions, that we're gonna do these right things and then he's gonna have to come to us and say, okay, you've passed the test, here you go. Or we're gonna figure out the system, we're gonna come up with the right principles of how we're gonna live a noble life and so God's gonna be good with us. Like We're always gonna do one of those two things. That's what they did 2,000 years ago. That's still what we do today. I so appreciate that Paul reminds us that, yep, that's the way it was for me. That's the way it was when I was in Corinth. And that's the way it's going to be for us. And he goes on then to give two examples. So he's laid out in the first part of his little rabbit trail here about preaching, which we would really call evangelism. He's laid out, okay, this is what it's going to look like. This is how it works. You've got these two classes of people, and they're both mad at you. They're both, you know, they both don't like what you have to say. And so first then, in verse 26, he uses the Corinthians as his first example. He says to him, hey, look at you. How many of you were great Greek philosophers before you became Christians? 
Like, well, I don't, not many, right? How many of you were super influential people? No. How many of you were rich and powerful? How many of you always did it right? How many of you always had it figured out? Like, no. No, they're, just, they're, just, they're ordinary people just like us. There's nothing special about you, Paul says. And Paul says, again, this is intentional. God has done this. Because let's face it, if you think you're living perfectly, like if you think you are keeping all the rules, you are killing it, you don't need God. And you're not going to respond to God when he comes to you with an offer to save you. You don't need saving. You're doing it right. And if you think you've got life figured out, like you know the principles you should live by, you've got your goals set, you know where you're going, you have, you, you, you've worked through it and you're ready to go, you don't need God and you're not going to respond to him. Paul says, you know, God just came to us as ordinary people. Why are you Christians? He asks the Corinthians. And the answer is in verse 27 and verse 28, God chose the foolish things. God chose the weak things. God chose the lowly things. God chose the despised things. God chose the things that are not. God chose. That's what Paul tells the Corinthians. God chose you. So he'll say in verse 30, it is because of him, God, the God who has chosen you. It is because of God that you are in Christ Jesus. Salvation, again, salvation is a gift. God chose you, Paul says to the Corinthians. And it's as true for us today as it was back then. We're not the people who always get it right. We're not the people who've got it all figured out. We're just normal, ordinary people. And God chooses us. And then Paul turns and he tells him, okay, now look at me. Right? First he said, look, look at you. Look at the church. Look what's going on. You guys don't do it all right. You guys aren't the great philosophers. You guys aren't the influential, important people but God chose you. You're not here because you did it right or you figured it out. You're here because God chose you. And then Paul says, and it's the same with me. This is chapter two, verse one. So it was with me, brothers and sisters. And Paul goes on to talk about what he is like, where he says, look, I'm not a great orator. I'm not a philosopher. I'm not any more of all these things I just asked you than you are. What was Paul's great evangelistic argument? Like his his strategy, his no fail, oh, zinger, this is always gonna get you. What did he decide he was going to preach? How was he gonna evangelize people? I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Paul's fabulous evangelistic argument is Jesus died for you. He says, that's it. That's all I had to say. And how does he feel about it? When he comes into Corinth, this is his second missionary journey. He has been doing this for probably almost 10 years at this point. He has planted dozens of churches in scores of cities around the Greek world and Asia Minor. How did he feel coming into Corinth? He says in verse three, I came to you in weakness, with great fear and trembling. Like, Paul was afraid. Paul was scared. Paul was shaking, he says. I was trembling. And Paul didn't have some fabulous argument to persuade them. He says, look, my message, my preaching, when I evangelized you, when I told you the only thing I knew to tell you, Jesus died for you. He says here in verse four, like, 
It wasn't that my words were so powerful that you believed. I wasn't so persuasive. You weren't like, oh my gosh, that's incredible. Of course, I see it now. said, that wasn't why you believed. Why did you believe? The Spirit's power. You believed, he tells the Corinthians, not because I'm some great orator with some great message. I'm not, and I didn't have one. You believed because of the Spirit's power, a demonstration of the Spirit's power. He doesn't mean miracles, like, like we know from the book of Acts, at least he didn't do any miracles that are recorded. He's not talking about doing miraculous things. He's saying, you believe that is a demonstration of the Spirit's power. Again, what he said right at the beginning, like the, the cross, it, it just seems stupid to people who aren't being saved. But it makes total sense to those who are. God's Spirit opened your mind. His power allowed you to understand, Paul says. So... You're not dependent on my great words. You're not dependent on human wisdom. If you believed because someone convinced you, well, then you could stop believing if someone unconvinces you. If you believe because of some great argument, then what happens when somebody makes a better argument? Paul says, it wasn't me. It wasn't my great oratory skills. It wasn't my fabulous persuasive message. It was the power of God. You, Corinthians, you know, <laughs> you're Christians, because of the power of God's spirit in your lives. And brothers and sisters, if you name the name of Christ, it's true for us today as well. You didn't become a Christian because somebody did something crazy, miraculous, explained it. Now, maybe at the time it sort of seemed that way because you understood it. Like what he says back at the very beginning, right? It's the power of God. God's power allowed you to understand this because salvation's not a gift. You didn't earn it by doing anything, and that includes your understanding. It's not that you're smarter than anybody else. It's not that you're more clever than anybody else. It's not that you worked harder than anybody else. That's not why any of us are believers. We're believers because God's power worked in us, because it's a gift from God. Now, I just want to talk for a minute about the implications of this passage. Because again, I am so, so glad this passage is in scripture because I find it so, so encouraging that salvation is a gift. It's not us. It's nothing we did. Now again, if you think it's because you worked to get it, then it's offensive to say you didn't work, it was a gift. And if you think it's because you figured it out and you have all the right principles, then it's offensive to say, no, you didn't figure it out, it was given to you. But if you accept that it was a gift, that is so freeing. Because we didn't do anything to get it, which means we can't do anything to lose it. It's not us. If I had to work hard to be saved, then I gotta keep working hard. If the way you get into heaven is by having a 90 or better average at the end of your life, then it really doesn't matter what my average is today. Because if I mess up badly enough tomorrow, oh, it can all tank. If we have to do something to be saved, then we have to keep doing it. If I gotta figure it out, if I gotta come up with, okay, this is how to live my life and that's how I'm gonna pursue it, then I gotta keep doing that all my life. I can't stop, I can never change. Because if I do, then I'm not saved anymore. If I'm saved based on what I do, what I think, how I respond, then I'm gonna be in trouble if that changes. If God forbid my mind betrays me in the years to come and I become an angry, bitter, crotchety old man who curses Jesus, then if I'm saved by what I have done, oh, then I'm in a lot of trouble. 
but I'm not. I'm not saved by what I've done. I'm not saved by being a good guy. I'm not saved because I, I treat people well or I'm in ministry or I go to church or anything like that. I'm saved because God chose me. That means I was saved yesterday because God chose me. I'm saved today because God has chosen me and I will be saved tomorrow because God has chosen me. And that is true for you if you are a follower of Christ as well. There's nothing you can do. He has chosen you. He's put his power into you. That is so encouraging. It's not us. We don't have to work to keep salvation. Now, hey, we absolutely work. I mean, look at me. I am working. I have spent hours this week working. If you're a follower of Christ, you are working hard. But we don't do that to stay saved. We do that because we're saved. We do that because God has chosen us, because he's put his spirit in us, because he loves us, and Jesus have, has died for us. It's all our response to him. We don't do it in order to make sure that we're gonna go to heaven. If God has saved us, and it's him and not us, then we rest secure. That's the first implication for me. That's the first just incredibly encouraging thing about this passage, that it's not me, it's him. And the second one has to do with discipleship. So you've heard our example all the time. Two wings of discipleship. The one wing is bringing people to Christ and the other wing is growing people up in Christ. And when Paul talks about preaching, I said, he's really talking about this wing of discipleship, what we call evangelism, bringing people to Christ. And again, I find it so encouraging that Paul tells us, yep, people aren't gonna respond all that well. Right? Some people are going to be offended. Some people are going to think you're stupid. Right? The only people, Paul says, who are going to respond is those who believe, those whom God's power is at work in. And it is God's plan to use us to do this. That's what he said in verse 21. God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached. God was pleased through us sharing the gospel. God was pleased through evangelism to save those who believe. This is God's plan, that we be part of this. Now, we don't know who he's saving. Right? If you are a Christian and you are watching this, then he has chosen you and saved you. If you're not a Christian and you're watching this, then he hasn't chosen you yet. That's why it doesn't make sense to you. We don't know as Christians who he has chosen. I would so love it if God gave us like one of those Star Trek tricorders, you know, that, that beep as they get closer to things. It's like, okay, who should I talk to today? You know, and I'm looking at people and it's going beep, 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 beep. And then I pointed at this one lady and it's like beep, 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 beep. Like, oh, okay, God's chosen her. God's spirit is at work in her. I'm gonna go talk. He hasn't done that. <laughs> so we just have to talk. We just have to do what Paul did. Now, let me ask you, do you ever feel stupid evangelizing? Because I do, and that's what Paul says. The foolishness of what was preached. You ever feel foolish talking to people about Jesus? Yup, that's exactly what Paul says. Do you ever feel scared? Paul says he does. Weakness, great fear. Have you ever been shaking? Have you ever been shaking before you talk to someone? That's what Paul says. He says he trembled. He says he literally was shaking. 
Paul was afraid. Again, one of the greatest church planners in the history of the church. At this point in time, he's responsible for like half the churches in the world, but he's still scared when he comes into the city. He's still shaking. Are, are you afraid? Are you nervous? Welcome to the club. That is so totally normal. Do you think, I don't know what to say. I don't have any great arguments. I don't know how I'll answer anybody's questions. Yeah, that's what Paul says. I resolve to know nothing except Jesus Christ and him crucified. He didn't have great arguments and he didn't do all these great things. And if you go and read in Acts about his time in Corinth, most of the people he talks to don't believe. And I mean, tons of people did believe, but it says he went and he talked in the synagogue for weeks and they kicked him out because they got so tired of him. They got offended at what he was saying. Welcome to the club. If you are afraid, if you feel stupid, if you think, I don't know what to say, I don't know how to do this, of course not. Paul didn't, neither do we. That is totally normal. It's totally okay. You can do it anyway. Because remember, it's not you, it's him. You're not gonna save anybody. You're not gonna persuade anybody. It's not gonna be your great words. It's not gonna be your incredible arguments. It's gonna be the power of God's spirit in them. And if God's not moving and they don't respond, that's okay. That's on him. That's his business. Our business is just to preach. Remember what we said uh, back in the summer when we went through Colossians. At the end of Colossians, Paul lays out sort of his personal evangelism plan. He says he does three things. First, he prays. Then he looks for opportunities to serve. And then when he gets a chance, he speaks. And he tells us here what he said. He just said, Jesus died for you. Now, church, brothers and sisters, we can all do that. Even though, yes, it's scary. Even though, yes, we feel foolish sometimes. So did the apostle Paul. He admits it, we can admit it. But we can all pray. I, I asked you to be doing that last summer. I reminded you a few times throughout the fall as we went through Joshua, I'm reminding you again. Who are you praying for? Like, who are the people that you are praying for? Who did God put on your heart? Who did God speak to you about? Who are the people who don't know him that he wants you to be the one who, through the foolishness of what was preached, to save those who believe? Are you praying for him? Are you looking for chances to serve them, like what Paul said in Colossians? And if you remember, he says the same thing in Romans. We popped over at one point and looked at that. This is how he did evangelism. This is how he preached the gospel. He prayed for opportunities. He looked for chances to serve people. When he got the chance, he spoke. He spoke about Jesus. Like, we can all do that, even though, yes, we feel foolish, even though, yes, we're afraid. We can all do that. It is God's good pleasure. Paul says God was pleased. God is pleased to save people this way. That, that as he says, let him who boasts, boasts in the Lord. That everyone knows it's him, not us. It's not how great we are. It's not how our, our wonderful oratory. It's not how persuasive we are, our incredible arguments. It's him. It's his power. Nobody's a follower of Christ because of us. They're a follower of Christ because of him. Are you doing it? Are you praying? Are you looking for chances to serve? Are you speaking about Jesus when you get the chance? Because that pleases the Lord, it says. So I'm gonna pray for us. I'm gonna pray that God's spirit will use this passage to encourage you like he's encouraged me. Like I, I have been praying more. You know, I, I told you this is a group of people that, that I felt like God said to me, okay, these are the folks I want you to be talking to. Um, okay, since I think it was August when we, I did that sermon and felt like God said that to me, okay, zero, 
No one in that group has accepted Christ. No one in that group is even interested. They all pretty much come down on one of those two camps. Sometimes they're annoyed at me for talking about, sometimes just like, oh, come on, Jeff, you know, I, I just don't believe any of that, right? This passage has encouraged me to, to be praying again more seriously, to, to look again for chances to serve them. And when they come and sit down next to me and say, hey, how you doing? To talk about Jesus. I don't have a great argument. I don't know what's gonna happen. It's not, it's not my problem. That's on him, not on us. So I'm gonna pray that we would be bold this week, that this passage would encourage us to go and do what pleases the Lord. The Lord is pleased through the foolishness of what was preached. He's pleased through the foolishness of us sharing Christ to save people. Pray with me. Oh, Jesus, thank you. Thank you for the encouragement of the scriptures. I mean, Paul will say that to the Romans, that all these things that have been written, they have been written for our benefit. That the the, the scriptures give us encouragement and they give us endurance. Lord, I pray you would give us that from this passage. You would encourage us that salvation is a gift, so it's it's not us. It's not ours to take, it's not ours to give, and it's not ours to lose. It comes from you. It is your choice. It is the power of your spirit. And so we rest securely in that. And then we are bold to tell others because it's not us. It's not on us. It's not our fault if people don't respond. Your spirit works in people. When you are ready, it makes sense to them. They understand. It is simply our responsibility to to speak. Even though it seems foolish, you are pleased with that. Lord, help us to be bold this week renew our determination, renew our endurance to pray for those who don't know you. Renew our endurance to look for ways to serve people who don't know you, that we earn opportunities to speak. Renew our courage to speak, just to speak about you. Not great arguments, not wonderful oratory, not answers to all the questions, just to speak about you. Jesus Christ crucified, Jesus who loves you and died for you. Lord, renew our our encouragement and renew our determination, our endurance to do what pleases you, that you would save people through our foolish, foolish preaching. We pray all this in your name, Jesus, always. We love you and we're yours. Amen.